Hey there, and welcome to another episode of the Love Offering Podcast. I'm your host, Rachel Adams, and today's guest is Dr. Michelle Bankson. Dr. Bankson is on the show talking about how a little thought goes a long way. Based on my devotional, A Little Goes a Long Way, 52 Days to a Significant Life. Dr. Bankson is a board-certified neuropsychologist, and she's also the author of Hope Prevails, Breaking Anxiety's Grip, and today is going to be a good day. Join us as she helps us to learn to restore hope, renew our minds, and empower others to live in their God-given identity. Well, hello, Dr. Michelle Bankson. Welcome to the Love Offering Podcast. I'm so happy to have you. I, I think this is fun. You know, we met in real life and I just love getting together and cooperating in ministry. So thanks for asking me to be on. Well, I am so excited. You know, when we met and I knew that I was doing this series and I have today is all about how a little thought goes a long way based on my devotional, a little goes a long way, 52 days to a significant life. And I discovered that you are a neuropsychologist when we met and I thought, oh my gosh, I even told you in that moment when we met, I'm like, I need to have you on the podcast to talk about this because you are such a perfect fit for today's episode. So I would love to hear what led you into this line of work. Originally, I thought I would go into the counseling aspect of psychology. I was always the one that friends would come to, to pour out their problems and ask for advice. But you know, it's really funny because when I took my first class in neuroanatomy, I was just amazed when you learn about the brain at the cellular level, I just thought, how could anyone not believe in a God and the intricacy with which he made us? And so I just kept taking classes and I realized it's a better fit. I have a very analytical mind. I have a very problem solving oriented mind. And it's not that I didn't enjoy the therapy aspect, but I was not the therapist that you wanted to come to if you just wanted to vent about your spouse or your boss. I was the one to come to if you wanted to know what to do to change things. And what I found is a lot of people don't really want to change. They just want to complain. And I'm not a good fit for that. But if you want to know what's going on with your brain and how we can help improve its efficiency, I'm your gal. Well, you're my gal and I'm so thankful for your mind and minds like yours. Um, And I just, as you just said that, what came to my mind was about when I'm trying to think in which gospel it was when Jesus asks the man that's paralyzed, do you want to get well? And when you just said so many times, we don't want to change. And so I think that that's a very valid question, isn't it? Do you want to get well? One of my favorite stories because In the early part of my career, as I would read through the scriptures and I would get to that story and Jesus asked, do you want to get well? And each time I'd be thinking, Jesus, like, I know you're God, but that's a silly question. Of course he wants to get well. He's, he's laying there at the edge of the pool, just waiting for someone to push him in. But over the course of my career, I realized Jesus asked the question because Not everyone wants to do what it takes to get well. And that lame man had to participate in his healing. Jesus said, take up your mat and walk. He had to exercise faith 
before he would see the results. But that's not the end of the story. Once he was well, he could no longer carry that moniker of I'm the lame man. He had to get a job. He had to support his family. He couldn't depend on other people to do for him. And that is what I've seen over 30 years in practice is that not everybody wants to do the work. They want a quick fix, but they don't want to have to do the work to participate in their healing. And what I've seen is those that are invested and willing to do the work, they benefit so much more. They're less likely to forget about where they were and the process they went to to get to this new place. But those who it's just handed to and they don't have to invest anything, they kind of forget about it because it wasn't as significant in their life. That's so good. You know, I'm just thinking so often we just pray and want God just to fix us, but we have to partner in this process. And, you know, something that I appreciate so much about you is that you're not immune to your own struggles. You still wrestle with things too. You're human. And, and so you have struggled and you're, you're honest to say you've struggled with anxiety and depression. So would you share this part of your story with us? I grew up in a home with a mother who was from another country and she's from New Zealand, which has a very British background. And the Brits are known for not really being very touchy feely. They're not very expressive and to complicate things. She experienced major clinical depression my entire childhood. Only at that time, I didn't have a label for it. I just chalked it up to that's the way she was. And it's interesting because not only did I get her genetic contributor to my life, but she also modeled for me looking at everything through a negative depressive lens. And so I learned from her to look at everything, to be negative and critical and complaining. And I experienced my first bout of depression about two weeks after the birth of my first son. She called, she was in another state. She called and asked, honey, how are you? How's the baby? And I just started crying. And she said, what's wrong with the baby? And I said, nothing. He's perfect. I don't know why I'm crying. Like I cry when the simplest thing happens, like a piece of paper falls off the counter. And she said, would you put your husband on the phone? So I got my husband, Scott, I handed him the phone. And she said, Scott, I'm pretty sure Michelle has postpartum depression. You need to hang up with me now and call her doctor and get her help right away. And the interesting thing about that, Rachel, is that I diagnosed postpartum depression in thousands of women, but I didn't see it in myself. And so my doctor was wise and he got me on some medication and I got over it. And I even went on preemptive medication before the birth of my second son, because I did not want to go through that again. And, you know, our hormones are a big contributor to how we feel. But then several years later, my husband was diagnosed with cancer. And so I did what I learned as a child to do. As a child, my father died of a massive heart attack at age 42. My mother, being from another country, didn't have a way to support the family. So I just, being the type A person, following in my father's type A personality, I just jumped in and did whatever I could to support the family. So as a 15-year-old, I was mowing lawns, cleaning houses, babysitting, anything I could do to help support the family. And then when my husband was diagnosed with cancer and couldn't work, 
I did the same thing. I just jumped in and did more. So what started as a temporary solution to what we hoped was a temporary crisis became my new normal. And I began working at the private practice over a hundred hours a week. I would work until midnight or one in the morning. I'd race home. I'd take a quick shower. I'd take a real quick nap and I would be back at the private practice by three or four in the morning. Now, what you need to know about that is God never asked me to do that. I took it upon myself to be our provider. And because God gives us free will, he let me do that. And he let me experience the consequences of that. One day I was seeing patients and I doubled over in pain and I thought, oh, something is not right. So I got my patient up to the front office where my staff could take care of them. And I slowly made my way back to my office. And as I was nearing my office, my husband just happened to walk in the door in the middle of the day, which was not like him. And he looked at me and he said, honey, you don't look very good. I said, I'm not, you need to take me home. And on the way home, I deteriorated rapidly and we diverted to the emergency room. And what ensued was two emergency surgeries, five months on medically prescribed bed rest. I was kept alive on IV hydration and nutrition because I could keep no food down. I dwindled down from 113 pounds down to a skeletal 74, which is 30 pounds lighter than I am today. And the longer I remained in that state, unable to be the doctor, unable to do things as a wife or a mother, the more I went into the pit of depression and I experienced a major, major depressive episode to the point that I remember crying out to God and saying, God, if this is going to be my life, I, I'm not sure I want to go on living. I wasn't actively suicidal, but I was begging him to either heal me or take me home. And two weeks before I became so ill, I had been in a writer's conference and I had editors and agents practically begging me to write what is now Hope Prevails, Insights from a Doctor's Personal Journey Through Depression. And I came home and I started working on the proposal. And I'll tell you what, Rachel, had that book gone to press, it would have been a much different book. It would have been sterile and clinical and here's how to. But because I've what I've went through, the entire trajectory of the book changed. And now if you were to read Amazon reviews, most of them say she's reading my mail. She gets it because she's been there in a way that I wouldn't have gotten it had I not gone through this. Because you experienced depression yourself, you found that many of the treatments you had recommended were actually lacking. So what was the missing component? Well, that was the thing. First of all, God had to deal with my pride because I thought having all this alphabet soup after my name would make me immune to something like depression or anxiety. So there was pride there, even though I knew I had the genetics. But the other thing was, is that when I was so depressed, I thought, all right, Michelle, you know the answers. You know what you have told thousands of patients for over a decade in your practice. Do that. So I did. I prioritized rest. Once I was able to, I started slowly getting back to physical exercise. 
once I could start tolerating food, I prioritized really a very nutritional diet, not all the junk that's out there. I got into therapy and I got on medication. And what your listeners need to know is all those things helped. They all helped. But for me, in my situation, they were not enough to take the depression away. And I cried out to God and I said, God, there is something missing. I cannot go back to being that doctor and recommending all these things unless I know it works. I'm not going to recommend something unless I know that I know that it will help. I said, so you've got to show me what that missing link is. And I've never heard the audible voice of God. I don't know how to describe it other than it was like a whisper in my heart. And I sensed God saying, Michelle, as long as you are not willing to look at the spiritual roots of disease, it is like you are putting a Band-Aid on an infection and hoping it gets well. And the light bulb went off in that he was right. I had been addressing the physical and I had been addressing the cognitive and I had been addressing the emotional, but I was not addressing the spiritual roots of disease because at that point, I didn't know there was such a thing. And so when he said that to me, I thought, oh, Lord, that explains why patients would get well but then a few years later, they would come back into my office and they would be experiencing the same thing again or worse because I was not addressing with them the spiritual roots of disease. So I said, Lord, you're going to have to teach me. I, I don't know what this means. And so slowly over time, he taught me and he brought me to John 10, 10, which says that the thief comes only to steal and to kill and to destroy. But I have come that they might have life and have it to the full. And I thought, okay, okay, so we are dealing with a spiritual enemy, a very real enemy, but still, what is he stealing? What is he killing? What is he destroying? And the Lord showed me over time that with respect to depression, he attempts to steal our joy, kill our peace, and destroy our identity. And so we've got to battle not only in the physical realm, but in the spiritual realm. We have to understand we've got to fight back against this enemy because he knows that if he can attack our mind, he can get us off track. And that can lead us down the, the path into depression, into addiction, into pornography, and separate us from God. You know, my pastor has just started a series. It's an Ephesians series on the armor of God. And he just talked about on Sunday, how we are fighting a very real enemy that is, he is a, a lion roaring and prowling uh, to attack us. And so that is a very real threat. And so we've talked a lot about depression and I'd like to move into anxiety You've actually written a book titled Breaking Anxiety's Grip, How to Reclaim the Peace of God's Promises. And I think in your book, you actually say this, no question, we have a lot to worry about children's jobs, homes, health, finances, and more. But you say 
The solution isn't to rid ourselves of the sources of anxiety as if we could. (laughs) Instead, we need to recognize that anxiety originates from, again, a spiritual influence that we can fight back using the God-given weapons of power, love, and sound mind. So what does this look like practically in our everyday, ordinary lives? You know, God tells us in 2 Timothy 1, 7, I have not given you the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of sound mind. So for me, I recognize that I'm delving into worry, fear, anxiety when I start thinking, what if? Or when I start getting overwhelmed with life. Because Jesus said, my yoke is easy. And my burden is light. He's not putting the things on me that contribute to me feeling overwhelmed. I take on things and I try to control life. So when I start going down the path of what if, I am giving more attention to those things that are cropping up in my life than I am giving my attention to God who says, I'm going to walk with you. I'm never going to leave you. I'm never going to forsake you. So that's my clue. I've got to get right. I've got to refocus my mind. And, you know, he has given us the weapons with respect to power. There is power in the name of Jesus. There are times when I don't know what to do, but Jesus does. And there are times when I just know that I'm under an attack. And sometimes all I could pray when I was in that pit was Jesus help. And that's a very raw and honest prayer, but it's as effective as laying out my whole schedule and saying, I don't know what to do about this and this and this. Jesus, help. And there is power in the blood. The blood that Jesus shed for us makes us white as snow. But it's the enemy who wants to say, do you really think people will listen to you? Do you really think God can forgive you? The enemy is using the same tactics that he used in the Garden of Eden. The the two primary ways that the enemy gets to us is he tries to get us to question God's word, just like he did with Eve. Did God really say you cannot eat of any of the trees in the garden? No, that is not what God said. But Satan twists God's word. And then the second way he tries to get to us is he tries to get us to question God's character. If God was good, wouldn't I be healed? If God really loved me, would he have let me gone through this? We have to get back to the fact that when things happen to us, it is not necessarily God doing it to us, but he will bring good through it. So that's power. There is love. That is a huge weapon. God's love is never ending. It is everlasting. And if we will remember that God's great love will provide for us and he withholds no good thing from his children, when we are tempted to get into worry, fear, and anxiety, we can remember, but God loves me so much that he has promised to never leave me, to not forsake me, to provide for me, to be my defender and my refuge. There's so much power in understanding just what God's love provides for us. So he's given us power, love, and he's given us sound mind. And what that means is he has given us as Christ followers, the mind of Christ. So when I don't know what to do, it's okay. 
because he says, if any of you lacks wisdom, ask and I will lavish it upon you. So I have available to me the mind of Christ. And there are times when I don't know what to do. But if I will just ask, Lord, will you show me? Will you make it obvious? Will you open doors and close doors? He will. But Satan is so crafty that he gets us to focus on our feelings and our circumstances. And that's where we go wrong. We need to keep our mind focused on God and his truth and his promises, not on our feelings and our circumstances. Oh, goodness. I, I wish this was like a, this needs to be a 24 hour episode because there's just so much goodness in this. And it's so prevalent and so relevant for it prevalent in our, in our day and time and relevant for so many of us and the needs that we're facing today. And, and I love, and you're so right. It's, it is our mind and body and soul. And there's such a connection and we're so intertwined and how all of those things are so important. And something on the, this idea of our thoughts, you actually have a devotional title. Today's going to be a good day. 90 promises from God to start your day off, right? Where each day helps readers to live out Philippians four, eight, which says, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable. If anything is excellent and praiseworthy, think about such things. And I just love this verse, but I feel like it's very hard to live out. So how do you think we live this out and renew our minds? You know, God tells us to take every thought captive and bring it into obedience with Christ. And when I was so sick, I remember thinking, Lord, that's a lot of work. I, I don't know if I can do that because as a neuropsychologist, I can tell you, we have somewhere between 50 and 70,000 thoughts a day. So when God tells us to take every thought captive, that is a whole lot of work. But what it means is that we need to intentionally pay attention to what we are thinking. And then we need to ask ourselves, is this consistent with what God has told me in his word? And if it's not, it's not from God. And I need to reject it. And I need to, in its place, replace it with the truth of God's word. I was not normally a positive person. I grew up with a mother who taught me to kind of look through that negative glasses, not even just half empty, but almost empty kind of thing. But when I was so sick, I had a lot of people who would offer what I call Bible verse band-aids and they would try to slap a band-aid on as if I didn't know the scripture, all things work together for good or he who is in me, who is greater than he who is in the world. I knew those verses, but it told me they didn't understand what I was going through, but I had a friend who knew my heart and she called the night before my second surgery and said, Michelle, I know you know this, but I feel like God wants me to remind you that although weeping may last through the night, his joy comes in the morning. And Jesus said that I have come to give you joy and that your joy might be full. And I had been feeling like doing all those things I told my patients to do and they weren't fully working, I began, began to believe the lie that I must just be joy immune. But when she shared that and I knew her heart, so it wasn't like a Bible verse band-aid, it was like the Holy Spirit said, 
I've come to give you joy. And joy comes in the morning. And the Bible was written for you as much as it was written for anybody else. So that means these verses are true for you too, which means you cannot be joy immune. But you see, my focus was on my feelings and my circumstances. And if I'm being honest, I wasn't very grateful for either one. But slowly over time, I began to replace those thoughts with the thoughts of God. And I wrote my very first, today is going to be a good day, social media post. And it was simple. It was not eloquent. It was not written for anybody, but to encourage me. And it was simply said, today is going to be a good day because God's joy comes in the morning. And, you know, people resonated with that. About a week later, I did another real simple post. Today's going to be a good day because God's mercies are new every morning. And again, I would have people saying, I needed that encouragement. That was for me. And I, and in my mind, I'm thinking, no, I was doing as David told us to do. And I was encouraging myself in the word, but I'm so glad it encouraged you too. And what slowly ensued, this was not planned, Rachel, but what it became over a six-year ministry every single day. I post a post. Today is going to be a good day because now they're a little bit more eloquent, more like a true devotional now, but each day I take a promise from God's word because if we are standing on God's word and standing on God's promises, every day can be a good day despite our feelings and despite our circumstances, but it all depends on where our focus is because what we focus on will grow. Yeah, absolutely. And in fact, it's been said before that our thoughts determine our beliefs, our beliefs determine our attitudes and our attitudes determine our behaviors. So I'd love for you to elaborate on this idea. Our feelings are good and God gives us feelings, but our feelings are really the outward manifestation of the thoughts we believe. So we have a thought and then if we believe it, then we will behave in a way that is consistent with that original thought and our feelings will follow suit. So if I have the thought, God must not love me, then I'm going to end up having the feeling of being rejected, abandoned, discarded, and then I will behave in a way that reflects my belief that God doesn't love me. I will avoid being in his word. I will avoid people who are going to tell me how much God loves me. So they're all tied in together, which is why God doesn't first say, change your behavior. He says to renew your mind and take captive every thought because that will change the trajectory of our life. And it is consistent with what neuroscience is finding to be true. We can change our thoughts. And when we change our thoughts, it will change our reality. So as we start to come to a close, this is a question I'm asking all of my guests. How has a little thought gone a long way in your own life? That little thought from over a decade ago of today is going to be a good day because has totally changed my mindset. Now I have friends who will be in a difficult situation and they'll be negative and complaining. And I'll say something like, oh, it's just a treasure hunt for God's goodness. And they'll look at me like, how do you do that? 
Well, we get to choose our thoughts. And I've found that I've wasted too much of my life focusing on the negative. And so that little thought today is going to be a good day because it's changed how I view the world. Now, I'm not perfect at it, but when trials and adversity come up, I'm quicker to look for what God has to say about the situation and how I should respond instead of my fallback, that baseline negative response that I used to have. I can just see that that needs to become our new morning mantra. Today is going to be a good day. And if you can't find something good, go to Michelle's page and you she'll tell you something good or <laughs> by her devotional. That's right. Well, I know I want to stay in contact with you. I'm sure listeners are going to want to. So tell us how we can best do that. Easiest way is to find me on my website, which is drmichelleb.com because nobody spells my last name right. But <laughs> if you search on Facebook or on Instagram or all the socials, you can find me at Dr. Michelle Bankson. But on my website is years and years and years of free resources available for lots of life's difficulties. Well, you have certainly changed my thoughts and thinking uh, today, and I'm so thankful for you and for your ministry and for your mind. And so thank you for joining us today and to help us believe that a little thought goes a long way. Thank you, Dr. Michelle. It's been my honor and joy. Thank you, Rachel. Thank you so much for tuning into today's episode with Dr. Michelle Bankson. We hope that today helped you to renew your mind and to realize that a little thought goes a long way. This week, your little task is to pay attention to your thoughts, catch any negative thought and replace it with a truth from scripture. If you're interested in show notes, you can head on over to at Rachel Adams author on Instagram or Facebook. I'd love to connect with you there. I'd also love to connect with you over on rachelkadams.com. There you can subscribe to receive your weekly love offering newsletter. And all of this information can go straight to your inbox each week. You can also listen to previous podcast episodes. You can read the blog series. You can purchase significant merchandise and you can download free resources like the free wallpapers to start to renew your mind. You can add them as a screensaver on your phone as a reminder of God's truth that he speaks over you. You can find that again at rachelkadams.com slash free. Next week, my guest is Katie Lewis. She is on the show talking about how a little clothing goes a long way. I can't wait to chat with you again then, but until then, I hope you have a terrific week. And as always, remember to lead with love.